Hi, welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Alex Papas, Senior Pastor at Oceans Unite Christian Center. While I was between services, I got a, an email or a message from one of my family members that live in Greece, and she has a friend in the Ukraine, and she got an urgent message from, from the capital city, I think it's Kiev, is that right, Kiev? And, and um, the message was from, from people in Kiev, Christian leaders, basically pleading with us to pray for them. And you're just really pleading. And they said that there are literally pensioners and children with, that have taken up arms to try and defend their capital city. And um, we really need to pray. You know, you know, things are happening on the planet that are out of our control. But one thing we do know is that the battle is not against flesh and blood that we need to come in the spirit and agreement against the forces of darkness that desire to come against the knowledge of God, that desire to bring their agenda onto the planet. We need to pray against any satanic agenda, any plan of the enemy for this nation, for the nations of this world. Amen? Amen. All right, so I'm very excited because we are starting a brand new series this morning. I don't know why in the evenings I say morning and in the mornings I say evening. You know, I need to really work on that. I, just look at, I say morning, I look at my wife and she's like, <laughs> it's not morning, it's evening or whatever, you know. Um, so I'm really excited to get into this. I, I want to say just a couple of things before we dive into it. It's not going to be a short series because there's a lot to cover. We're going to get into the seven churches of Revelation next week, which in my personal opinion, it's all extremely important. But if there's one thing we really need to heed, it's the letters to the churches, because we can learn from those letters. And I'll talk more about that this morning, but that's the part I'm very excited about. I'll spend quite a bit of time in that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I probably won't do one church a week because we'll be here very long, so I'll try and do two churches a week. As we get into that, this morning will be chapter one, which is basically just foundational. However, even though it's foundational, Jesus instructed John to write about it, to write about what he had just experienced. So we know that there's something important that we need to grasp just out of chapter number one, which we'll, we'll dive into. Um, but before we get into Revelation, I just want to let you all know that um, Brian Thomas and Aaron Thomas will be joining the full-time staff. We are very excited about that. Amen. Brian was uh, ordained into the office of evangelist last year. We ordained him, and we recognized the anointing and the call of God on his life. You don't have to call him evangelist Brian. You can call him pastor. That's fine, because he'll be on the pastoral team. If you want to call him evangelist, that's fine. But I want to just say something about this right here, and actually, because John is the writer of this letter, there's a lesson we can learn from him. First of all, I want to say that how many of you know that every man of God, specifically the men of God that wrote the Bible, they were great men of God. We honor them. We respect them. But in Scripture, you'll see, for example, Paul will write, you know, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us what he is, but he doesn't go around saying, Apostle Paul. Now, there's nothing wrong. I'm not speaking against that at all because there are many people that do that and, and there's honor in it and I respect that. But it's not the most important thing. 
If you are an apostle or if you are a prophet or you are an evangelist, then you know you are. Don't worry about the title. In fact, we know that the other writers that were apostles would refer to themselves as apostles. However, John never did that. What John wanted you to know is that he was the apostle whom Jesus loved. Now, I'm not saying he's better than Paul. I like him more today, but tomorrow I'll probably like Paul again more. It's just one of those things. And it's not that Paul was full of pride. He just, you know, he was the guy that was, you know, came into the faith later. He wanted everybody to know that, listen, he really was an apostle. But he didn't want, he didn't get upset if you didn't call him Apostle Paul or Evangelist Brian Thomas. Do you understand? He is an evangelist. That's what he is. But you don't have to call him evangelist. You know, you don't see in the prophet, well, prophet Elijah came to town. No, Elijah came to town. And by the way, it was Elijah the Tishbite. He was a prophet. That's who he was. But the title's not important. Don't get bent out of shape about the title. It's good to honor someone. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? But don't make a, don't build a whole theology around something unnecessary. All right. So he's an evangelist. God has called me to raise up a five-fold ministry team, and I'm excited to have him on board. Amen? All right, let's get into it. I'm very excited, and I want to say that for me, I realized during the break, because I was asked a couple of questions, one in particular that made me really realize, and, and, I, and I want you that maybe has studied the Bible you know, very much in your life, you know, intensely, you've really been a scholar of the word. You'll know a lot of stuff and that's okay. But understand that there are people sitting here. This is the first time revelation will be presented to them. They don't know much about this book. And part of the reason why many young Christians, and I'm not necessarily talking about age, I'm talking about young Christians, newer Christians, don't dive into the book of revelation is because for them, it's difficult to understand. Many people will tell you or encourage you not to study the book of Revelation because it's just difficult to understand. Well, I want you to know that it's a very powerful book, and I want you to know this, and this is extremely important, there is nothing to fear. As we dive into this and see certain things, don't be afraid. I met a gentleman a few nights ago at a restaurant and sort of suggested they're not going to come to church because they don't want to learn about this. It's not funny. It's true. People get very afraid when they learn about the end times or the end of the world or stuff like that. The truth is you have nothing to fear. The Bible tells us many times, do not fear. So let's learn what we can because there's a lot to learn and a lot to look forward to. And I just love actually to tell you the truth right now today as it stands, Revelation 1 is my favorite chapter. Next week, probably chapter two will be my favorite, but today, chapter one is my favorite. <laughs> and you'll understand why, hopefully, at the end. The first thing I want you to know about the book of Revelation is it's not the book of Revelations. Many people will say, well, I studied the book of Revelations. No, it's the book of Revelation. It's a revelation. And the truth is, what it is, is it's a letter. It's a letter. The book of Revelation is a letter. Like, for example, we have Ephesians, which was a letter addressed to the church at Ephesus. Corinthians, a, a letter that was written to the church at Corinthians or the, in Corinth. So we know that it's a letter. 
Many people today, believe it or not, this is how it gets, unfortunately, when it comes to biblical scholars, that there is even debate still about who wrote the letter. But I don't think there's any doubt that it was written by the Apostle John, the disciple of Jesus. He's the author of this letter. He's the one who wrote the letter. The letter was written around 95 AD, around 65 years after the resurrection of Jesus. 95 AD, 65 years after the resurrection of Jesus. What's important that you understand is what was going on at the time. Domitian was the emperor. It was a very intense time for the church. The church was suffering great persecution. And in fact, at this point when he wrote this, all the other apostles, the disciples, the original 12, and that includes Paul, they were all dead. And they'd all been martyred. They'd all died for the cause of the kingdom. But John was still alive, and many, many scholars, many writers of that day, they make a statement that they tried to kill him, and the way they tried to kill him was by boiling him in oil. And they say that while he was being boiled, he was preaching. That's what they say. So what they did was, because you must know he didn't die, so he's probably like a witch or something, so they thought they would send him to Patmos. They exiled him to Patmos, and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. Amen. Now, just to give you a little bit more information about John, just real briefly, John, at the stage or the time where he was sent to Patmos, was at the church in Ephesus. And also, just so you know, at the time that he went, he went to Patmos and probably went back to Ephesus, the pastor of that church was Timothy. That's pretty awesome. So, you know, Paul that writes 1 and 2 Timothy, writing to Timothy, and the, the apostle John were members of that church. I would have liked to have been in that church. That would have been pretty awesome. You know, imagine being a young pastor like Timothy, and in the back of the church, or probably in the front of the church, would be the apostle John, sitting and listening to you preach, and probably, oh my gosh, you know, and what's interesting is that they say that he said very little in his last days. You know, as you know, us young guys have a lot to say because we're very clever. But what you'll find is generally as you get older, you say less. And they say that he said very little in his last years. The one thing that he overemphasized and went around saying was love your neighbor. And basically the message from what I hear from scholars, I've read through scholars, is that they say that he would basically say, just get that right. And that's such a powerful lesson. If we can just get that right, can somebody say amen? Also, just so you know that John wrote one of the gospels as well. We know that. He wrote first, second, and third John, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. His gospel was written last. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic gospels. In other words, they are the same. They are synoptic. They are written about the stories are the same, the miracles are the same, the time of Jesus is the same. And the first one was written around 70 AD, which is Mark. Matthew and Luke was written around 85 AD. And the gospel of John was written around 90 AD. And if you read it, it's like he filled in the missing parts. 
because many of the miracles and stories written in the Gospel of John, for example, the wedding at Canaan, are not in any of the other Gospels. And there are many stories just like that. Definitely valuable, a valuable book. John was without doubt a very special guy. And like I said earlier, I don't know if I said this earlier or in the previous service, but what he really wanted to be known as and what he referenced himself as was the disciple whom Jesus loved. We also know that at the time that he leaves the Isle of Patmos, he must have been very close to, if not over 100 years old. But if you take and study the timeline, you'll find out that when Jesus called him, he was a very young man. He was not what you see in some of the older movies about Christ where the disciples are like these old guys. The disciples were young men. Jesus was 30 years old. I always like to use Alex as an example because he was 30 like I think a year ago or so, two years ago, I don't even know how old he is now, but he's a young man. And the disciples were probably in their 20s, John maybe in his early 20s, some scholars say younger. So in a way, Jesus was almost like a father type figure to them as the years would go by. And did he have knowledge and wisdom? Come on. So he really loved Jesus and looked up to Jesus. We know that from scripture. So that's just a little bit of background. The book of Revelation is the only book that has the audacity to tell us that it's special. And actually, that if you read it, there's a blessing for you. Thank the Lord it doesn't say, read and understand it, that there's a blessing. <laughs> it's just read it and heed the words and there will be a blessing. So know that if the Bible tells you, listen, there's something special about this book and you need to read it because it's gonna be a blessing for you, it's probably really important. What's interesting about the book of Revelation is that what I love about it is if you don't understand the Old Testament or read the Old Testament or believe that the Old Testament is still relevant, you will never understand the book of Revelation. You can't. And the reason why is because the book of Revelation has, out of the 404 verses, has 278 verses that reference the Old Testament in some way. More than half of the book of Revelation references the Old Testament in some way. That's incredible. And that tells us that the Old Testament is extremely important. Thank you for your overwhelming amen. The other thing that's really important that you'll find out as you begin to study it is that there are over 800 allusions in the Bible, in the, in the, in the book of Revelation. And they mainly reference Old Testament. So in other words, when you see certain things, beasts, vials, plagues, all kinds of things, stars, angels, when we see these things, you will not understand them unless you understand the Old Testament or unless you reference the Old Testament for understanding. And as we dive into it over the next few weeks, I will show you as much as I can. And I'm really gonna try and teach this as easy to understand as possible. So I'm not gonna get theological, is that okay? I want you to finish this course and go, I understand the book of Revelation. I have an understanding. The other thing I wanna say before we dive into it is I will give you my opinion. Thank you, Pastor Alex, that's wonderful. <laughs> because I'm always right. Okay, 
But the Bible tells us that you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I take that very seriously for my own life. But so should you. So I will give you multiple examples of what multiple scholars say, and then I will tell you what I believe to be true. And then you decide for yourself. Certain things are undeniable, and, 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 and you can't argue them in any way at all. But there are certain things where we just don't know for sure. And I'll point most of that out to you as we go into it. Let's get into it, amen? All right. Revelation 1. Verse number one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. The first thing I want you to know is this book is a revelation. The word revelation is the word apocalypsis, which means to reveal, to uncover, to unveil, to take the lid off, basically. So it's a revelation, and it's of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. The him is Jesus. He gave the revelation to Jesus <laughs> to show his servants. Who's the, his servants? Us. So the revelation that you're about to hear and learn about is for you as his servants, it is given to Jesus, but it is also a revealing of who Jesus is, as you'll see this morning in a powerful way. So he says, God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. I also want to say this. In the Bible, you will see that there are many mysteries. But here, the Bible tells us that this is an apocalypsis. This is a revelation, an uncovering, a revealing, in other words, you need to understand it. It's not something that must be kept from you. It's something that must be revealed to you. It's something that you must understand and look, be excited about. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we will all be with the King and the, the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, walking with Him in eternity. Amen? Which is a whole lot longer than 80, 90, 100 years, God willing. All right, so we understand that. Then he says, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So the message was given to Jesus, to an angel, and then taken to John, who bore witness to the world, verse number two, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. And this is now to the Apostle John. Now we're gonna get into it. Verse number three. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. There you can see that there is a blessing for those who read these words and those who keep it. There's a blessing for us. So I want you to know, when we're done with this, there will be a blessing for you. Isn't that awesome? Double portion, amen? Because we always get blessed at church, but now we're gonna get double blessed. There's a special blessing for us. Verse number four. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, 
Now, let's stop there before we move on because this is important. Many people don't know where Asia is. Asia is not where Asia is today. We're talking about Asia Minor in the, in the, in the days of the Bible, which is Western Turkey today. So if you look on the, on the map where Western Turkey is right now, there's almost like a circle of churches, and that's where these seven churches were. They were in Western Turkey, Asia Minor in that day. That's where these seven churches are situated, and that's who the message was written to. So he addresses them. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, this is very important because as we start here, there's an address, and the address is coming from the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Most scholars agree that in this context, it's referring to God the Father. God the Father, the one who was, who is, and is to come, and you'll understand why in just a moment. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, many people want to know who are the seven spirits. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to slow this down so you can get this. So first of all, it's coming from, the message is coming from the one who was, who is, and is to come, God the Father, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. There are scholars that will say these spirits are different spirits. Some will say angels and all kinds of different things, but most of the biblical scholars would agree that it's referring to Isaiah chapter number 11, verse number two, where we see the seven expressions of the one Holy Spirit. So it's the seven expressions, seven spirits of God, which is the one Holy Spirit. Let me read it to you, Isaiah chapter number 11, verse number two. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, one. The Spirit of wisdom, two. The spirit of understanding, three. Spirit of counsel, four. Might, five. Six, the spirit of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord, seven. Seven expressions of the Holy Spirit. One Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's who he's referring to when he says the seven spirits of God. So he says the seven spirits are before his throne. Then, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Let's stop right there. It's powerful because right here we see the Trinity basically in unity giving an address. It's extremely powerful. The one who was, who is, who is to come, God the Father, the seven spirits of God, the one Holy Spirit, and then Jesus Christ, the Trinity. Do you see it, guys? Is that okay? All right, try to make it as easy to understand as I can. But this is when it starts to get really interesting. You see, we can get so caught up in so much of the symbolism and stuff and really miss what's so important because from this moment, Jesus is about to show us some things. He's about to reveal himself. And he starts by saying this, verse number five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. How many of you know he's ruler? 
over the kings of the earth. Most scholars suggest that that means men, rulers, men. I would like to suggest that when it speaks about rulers of the earth, I believe it's all rulers of the earth, both in the natural and in the spirit. And I love that. I love the fact that he is the ruler over every king, over every ruler that's on the earth, whether it be in the natural or whether it be in the spiritual. And this is important as we move forward. He says, to him who loved us, and he says this in a past tense form, and there's a reason for it, because he wants you to understand that he loved us, he still loves us, but it's pointing us to the direction of the cross. The one who loved us, what did he do? He died for us, and what happened? Look at the next part of the verse. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's the cross. That's why there's a past tense form. Well, you know, Jesus only loved us. He doesn't love us anymore. Rubbish. Of course he loved, loves you now. But what he did on the cross was take care of your sins. What he did on the cross was he, he saved you with his own blood. And not only did he do that, but he did something else. Watch. Verse number six. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is so powerful to me. So not only has he washed us in his blood, not only are we saved, but he has also made us kings and priests. Most of you will know that in Old Testament time, you could only be either a king or a priest, and many people were none of those things. But in the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. We were given priesthood. We have access to his presence. We can minister to him. We can go in, into his presence with sacrifices of praise and worship and offerings before him in his presence. That's a priest. And we also have authority. We also have kingship. That's what it says. Let me read it again. And he and, and has made us. Everyone say made us. Kings and priests, that's what you are. You are a king and a priest. And then he says this, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Why? Because of you. Because you have been washed, you have been cleansed, and you will be his authority on the earth. This is important when we get to certain scriptures later on. It's important that you understand that Jesus is the rank supreme authority and power, but he has made you a kingdom of priests, kings and priests unto our God. Dominion and authority is in your hands in the mighty name of Jesus. You make a difference on the earth. I just wish we would believe it. I wish we would believe it. And then he says this, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And this is referring specifically to the Jewish nation, to the Hebrew nation. 
And we can go to Zechariah 12, verse number 10. Here's a prophetic scripture for you referring to this. Zechariah 12, verse number 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on, on, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So it tells us, it says, and behold, he is coming with clouds, verse number seven, Revelation 1, 7, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Watch, then it says, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. There is a day coming, people, where every eye will see and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me tell you, the day is coming. The day is coming when He is coming back. And every tribe and every tongue will confess. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every peoples will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, I have to preach just a tiny bit, okay? <laughs> I just want to get excited because it's just so good. This is so good. And now he begins to speak. Verse number eight. Many Bible translations will actually put this in red letters. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he speaks. Verse number eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? Alpha and Omega Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So everything is Him, in Him. From the beginning to the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. And then He says this, and I love this, the Almighty. He doesn't say the mighty one. He says the almighty. In other words, he is the one who has everything in his hands. Don't tell me, oh, well, you know, Pastor Alex, God is not really sovereign on the earth anymore. That's a lie from Satan. He is sovereign. He is, listen to me, he is not mighty. He is almighty. That means he holds it all in his hands. The beginning, the end, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. It's all in his hands, people. Everything starts and finishes with him. Oh, well, you know, he's not sovereign. Oh, okay, all right. Lie down before you hurt yourself. I'm really, I'll behave. <laughs> I'm happy to, to, to we are, I'm, I'm very happy to debate about Scripture, but don't tell me we don't serve a sovereign God. Now I'll put the finger away. <laughs> okay, all right. Now John begins to speak in verse number nine. Are you guys okay? Are you getting this? I'm, trying to, I'm really trying to slow down so I can break it down for you so you can understand it. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ 
was on the isle, the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now he's telling us that he's there, and he's there because he's your brother, your companion, and at that stage they were going through tribulation. Remember I shared with you what was taking place in the church at that time. They were going through some stuff. He was also not only in tribulation, but also in the kingdom, the things of the kingdom, and obviously because of Jesus Christ. He is a, he is a witness, and he is there to testify about what Jesus has done in his life, and he's on the Isle of Patmos because he serves God with all of his heart, people, with all of his heart. And he says this in verse number 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, the first thing I want you to get from this, we know that we should walk in the Spirit, right? We should be led by the Spirit. But I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. I believe that he was in intercession or busy with the Lord, and he was actually taken up into the Spirit. So he was in the Spirit. Most true revelation will come when you are in the Spirit. Okay, I'm not going to spend too much time on that because we're getting into some meteor stuff there. But understand that this was not just like, oh, you know, I think the Lord is saying. Are you with me? Well, I feel like the Lord is saying. No, this is like an encounter with the living God. And he's having a serious encounter when this happens to him. Then he says, and he tells us when it takes place. He says, on the Lord's day. Now, there are many opinions on that, but I'm gonna give you the one that is most, most prevalent, the one that most scholars agree with. And that is that this took place on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. They called it the Lord's Day. The first day of the week being the day of new beginnings. Now, this is where people get bent out of shape. Some will say that means it's Sunday, and some will say that means it's Monday. I really don't care. Is that okay? What the Bible does tell us is that we must rest on the seventh day. Whether your seventh day is Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, doesn't matter. What's important is that you do what he says, and that is take a rest, because you're gonna need it. The Bible says that he took a rest on the seventh day. But whether it's Sunday, or Monday, or Saturday, is not important, and will not affect your salvation, and is not the part he wants you to get stuck on in chapter number one. Is that all right? There was a day that was known as the Emperor's Day or the, or, of that time, and it was, I think it was quarterly or once, you know, once a month or quarterly, and this was the day, the first fruits was the day that they believed was the Lord's Day. Amen. Again, the day is not important, but that's the day it happened. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and this is when it starts to get really good. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And you must understand that John had walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus on the earth. There were times where they all needed a bath. Are you with me? Because they were dirty. They'd been walking all day. Their hair was dirty. Most people believe Jesus had longer hair. Listen, you don't wash your hair for a few days, it gets dirty. There were times they walked so far, it took multiple days. Don't think he was always squeaky clean. 
He walked with Jesus. He sweated with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. They bathed. They did everything. They were all together all the time. But all of a sudden, he hears a voice. He knows the voice, but this voice is something incredible. He says the voice is of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Theatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice. Now, let, let me just say this real quick. I want you to see that the, the, the letter is addressed. He wants him to write letters to these seven churches in Asia Minor. You need to know that there were far more than seven churches in Asia Minor. And on the earth at this time, there were probably thousands of churches, most certainly hundreds, probably even thousands. But the address was to these churches. Let me say this. These churches were not Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist. These were the church of Jesus Christ. Is that okay? And I'm not talking about the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All right? They were the only church. There was only one church, people. But what was taking place in those churches would be an example to all churches. And we'll get to that. And I'll prove that to you in just a little bit. But he says, man, I don't know what's going on with me. <laughs> he says, then I turn, verse 12, then I turn to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, don't worry. We're going to get back to this in just a bit because the Bible tells us what they are in just a moment. So don't get stuck there. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the son of, God, son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the, about the chest with a golden band. Now I'll stop there and I'm gonna say something, but then I wanna say something that's really important. So many scholars write a lot of information about why his robe was down to his feet. Most agree that it has to do with a long robe would represent someone that would be in a position of authority for several reasons. In those days, you wouldn't wear a robe all the way down because you'd be working so you didn't have authority where you didn't have to do physical work. Are you with me? Your garment would be shorter because you would be sweating a lot, right? Also, it was a, a, people in a positions of authority would wear these longer robes. So that could be so, and I could agree with that. What I do definitely agree with is that the golden band that was around his chest, the high priests of the Old Testament wore bands around their chest that represented their high priesthood. Now, Jesus' band was gold, a golden band. The high priest's bands were different colors. I believe there was I believe some purple and some other colors in there, but in the band was also golden strands. I believe this high priest is the high priest of high priests. And his gold band is pure gold. And it represents, I believe, authority, 
the, the robe, authority, and priesthood forever our high priest, which is beautiful. But let me tell you something, don't get stuck on it. Don't go too much into it. What you mustn't miss is what's happening to John. What's happening to John in this moment? First of all, he turns around and he doesn't say, oh, there's the son of man. In a moment, he sees him, recognizes who he believes he is, one like the son of man. He looks at his robe. He looks at his golden band. Then it says in verse 14, his head and hair were, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. What I want you to understand is in this moment, he sees Jesus. Remember, he knows what Jesus looked like on the earth. Now he sees him, but he's no longer the suffering servant. Now he sees the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that is pure and holy. And his eyes, listen, his eyes are not flames of fire. His eyes are like flames of fire. So there's no fire, there's no literal fire in his eyes. But when you look at those eyes, they are like a flame. Those eyes are so powerful, so pure, so holy, that when you look at them, it feels like everything can see right through you, that they are like a refining fire. They are holy and pure. That there's, it's just, when he looks at Jesus, he sees what he has never seen before. And this is what's so important in this chapter is that you need to recognize that the king that you serve is not the picture of the one who went to the cross. Yes, he went to the cross. He was the suffering servant, but right now he is clothed in glory and he is king and he rules over all the kings of the earth. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, every principality has already been made a spectacle he is the rank supreme power. He rules and reigns above every power and principality. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a shout. There are some things that you must get. It doesn't say eyes that were fire. It says eyes like a flame of fire. If you go to verse 16, you will see out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. I honestly, with all of my heart, believe that when John saw Jesus, a two-edged sword did not come out of his mouth. But what does the Bible tell us? That's why you need to know the scriptures. In Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. We can stop there. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. When John saw Jesus, when he began to speak, what came out of his mouth 
was the Word of God. Come on. When Jesus speaks, how many of you know it's God's Word and it is sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. It is holy. It is pure. It is God's Word. There's no picture of a sword coming out of His mouth. It didn't happen. Are you with me? If we go to verse 15, his feet were like fine brass. No, his feet were not brass. They were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. Some scholars believe this speaks of judgment. Perhaps they're right. But what's important to understand is the image that John saw of Jesus was completely different to the one who went on the cross. To the extreme or the point of where when he first looked, it was like, but he wasn't sure. And then Jesus reveals himself this way, and it's so powerful. And then the Bible says, and when I saw him, verse 17, I fell at his feet as dead. Can you imagine? After walking with Jesus the way he did, and suddenly before him stands the Son of God, what they've been speaking about, what they've been preaching about, what they've laid their life down for, standing in front of them, but not like they saw him before, but in all his glory. And every prophetic word and every suggestion about who Jesus would be in glory, John was seeing him for the first time that way. And the Bible tells us that he couldn't stand on his feet, but he fell down. And listen, he didn't just fall down, guys. He fell down like he was dead. In honor, in adoration, in thanksgiving. Probably couldn't even look for too long at this Savior of the world, of this King of glory, standing before him. He couldn't take it. He fell down. I didn't get emotional in the first service at all. (laughs) You people, it's your fault. And look at what Jesus does. He says to him, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Oh, and by the way, I have the keys of Hades and of death. That means that the only one who decides where your destiny lies is no devil, is no demon spirit, is no human being, but is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who has the keys of hell and of death. 
He's the one. And then he says in verse 19, and this is a very important verse to give us a, a breakdown of what this book is all about. Watch this now. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And this is really powerful because he's saying, at first, I want you to write the things which you have seen. What has he just seen? Jesus. And the Lord wanted him to write about this encounter. Write about it. Tell them what you have seen. Tell them who I am. Are you with me? So he says, the things which you have seen. Then he says, the things which are. And this is the address to the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches. That's what was current at that time, the things which are. And then the things which will take place after this, from Revelation 4 all the way to Revelation 22, is all prophetic. It's all about what is to come. So that verse tells us about, the, it's basically the outline of the book of Revelation, right? The things which you have seen, which just took place, the things which are, the letters to the seven churches, and the things which will take place after this, and that is what's to come from Revelation 4 all the way to Revelation 22. Now, he's about to end the chapter off, and he's about to give us some revelation. He's about to unfold some things, to take the lid off. Remember, we read earlier on about seven stars and seven lampstands. And I said to you, don't worry, the Bible's gonna tell us what it means. <laughs> so let's take a look. The mystery of the seven stars which Jesus held, that's what he's talking about, which you saw in my right hand, in the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now, this can be confusing, especially the first part where he says and he addresses the seven stars, which are the angels. So are the letters that were written, written to seven angels? Well, that's most certainly a possibility. I've read many scholars that will go as far as to say there are seven archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and others. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna, go, th we're not gonna go there, is that okay? Is it possible? I don't know. But what does Scripture tell us? Scripture tells us something very interesting. Let's go to Mark 1, verse number 1. Watch this. This is why it's so important that we study the, the Bible in its original language. He's about to write about John the Baptist. Is that okay? It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And just to confirm, so you know who I'm talking about, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Who are we talking about? John the Baptist. The Bible refers to John the Baptist here as a messenger. The word messenger in the original language is the word angelos, the same word used in the book of Revelation, angelos. Now, 
The Bible calls John a messenger. Or if you wanted to, you could say John the angelos, the angel. Is John an angel? No, he ate locusts. Come on. Definitely not an angel. But was he a messenger? Yes. So my belief, I want to overemphasize this. What I believe, I'm not saying this is gospel, is that the seven angels actually refers to the seven messengers in the churches who I believe are the seven pastors. Messengers. What am I? I'm a messenger. I've come to tell you the message of Jesus as your pastor. The letter was written to the seven angelos, which could be messengers. Now, could it be angels? Yes, it could be angels. But my personal theory, theory is that he's actually addressing the seven pastors of the seven churches. Amen? Now, he tells us plainly that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. But there is something we need to look at here. There's a few things that we need to know and a few statements that have been made and some of them are true and some of them we don't know for sure. But one thing we do know is that it's clear who the letter is written to. Now, understand, as I said earlier, there are many churches at that time. There were not only seven churches. I believe with all of my heart that this letter or these letters were addressed to the individual churches but also addressed to all the churches. And let me show you why I say that. If we go to Revelation 2 verse 7, this is the address to the church in Ephesus. So he's addressing the church in Ephesus, and towards the end in verse number 7, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the... So it's addressing all the churches. He doesn't say he who has an ear... That's in the church of Ephesus. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's to all the churches. The same thing is in Revelation 11 where he's addressing Smyrna. In fact, in almost all the addresses to the churches, he will say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to all the churches. So it applies to all the churches. We believe that without a doubt that it applied to the churches in that day, to all the churches, absolutely but it also applies to all the churches today. The letter is relevant and important for each and every one of us, and not only written to corporate churches, but to you as the church, as an individual. Every letter is important to you. Don't read it and go, oh, you know, that's the Baptist. Oh, that's the Pentecostals. You're missing it. The address is a warning to you. Don't get lukewarm. Don't lose your first love. It's to all of us. These are the things that they did that were right. You do them too. That church did this right. You do it too. That church did that right. You do it too. That's where they fell short. Don't make the same mistake. That's what the warning's for. Are you with me? Now, some scholars believe that there were also seven church angel, ages and that we are somewhere in those seven church ages, those that believe that, believe that we are in the last age, the seventh age. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible, but I'm not gonna worry about that. I'm not gonna now go and try and figure out was the first age exactly like that? Was the second age exactly like that? Because in my opinion, and again, this is just my opinion, I'm not discrediting that, that may be so, but one thing I know for sure is that letter to every one of those churches is absolutely relevant to you and I right now. Absolutely, absolutely relevant. 
Now, that's chapter number one. And we have covered the first part of verse 19. The things which you have heard. Many people will read this verse and think, oh, that's just the introduction. Let's get to the meat. No, listen, guys, you've had meat already. You have been given a glimpse, a picture of what our king looks like. Holy, powerful, ready to rule like you've never imagined when you see what's coming in this book. This is an exciting story, an exciting letter, an exciting book of the Bible that is there to strengthen your faith, to teach you more about Jesus. And yes, we've really just, this is the introduction, but in my opinion, so important. Because don't forget, Jesus went to the cross, but now he rules and reigns. And also, in the beginning of the chapter, he reminds us of what he did for us on the cross and who we are. We are kings and priests unto our God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more teaching like this and other material, please visit our website at www.oceansunite.com.